A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you've fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot org. Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 134 of Confessions of a Marketer, we're all about engagement. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Amanda Slavin, who has a book called The Seventh Level, which is all about engagement, is here, and we'll get to that discussion in a moment. In the coming weeks, we'll be talking with Maggie Fox about the CMO-CEO relationship and lots more. Vincenzo Landino will be in to talk CEOs and social. Mark Schaefer will be here to talk about his book, Marketing Rebellion, along with consumer trends, customer loyalty, and viral marketing. Plus, Catherine Hayes, speaker, advisor, co-host of CMO Spotlight on Sirius XM Business Radio and author of Beyond Advertising, will be in to discuss advertising. Lots more great discussions in store. The next couple of months will be action-packed. I can guarantee that. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. All right, on to Amanda Slavin. She's all about engagement. She runs an agency, Catalyst Creative, that focuses on engagement through design, experiences, and marketing strategy. And she has a book called The Seventh Level, which is based on an engagement framework she uses with her clients. This was a fascinating discussion, and in part one, she touched on a constituency that is often ignored when we think about engagement employees. When we chatted back in December, Amanda was eight and a half months pregnant, and she's now a proud mom. So let's get to our discussion. Amanda, thanks for joining me. It's good to have you on Confessions of a Marketer. I'm excited to be here. Can you give me your background and tell me about Catalyst Creative? Sure. So I have a master's in curriculum and instruction. I was a first grade teacher. And during my year of getting my master's, I wrote my thesis on something called the seventh level. So I created an engagement framework to measure what engagement looked like in the classroom. 
And then shortly after, I left education and went into hospitality, marketing, branding. So I opened restaurants in New York and the Hamptons and Las Vegas. Yes. And I applied that understanding of engagement from you know the classroom of learners to, to really recognizing that humans are humans. And I kind of, I utilize that understanding and being able to connect with customers. And then I wanted to be able to combine those efforts, my understanding of education, of engagement, of marketing, branding, experiential. And so I started Catalyst Creative seven years ago with my business partner, who's the CEO of Zappos, who loves customer service and corporate culture in a way that, you know, I, I kind of think of the customer differently because of my background in education. And that was, you know, the firm is really with the intention of using my understanding of engagement, this framework of engagement to change the way that companies are meaningfully connecting with their internal customers, their employees, and their external customers, their audiences. So we do everything in terms of creative services from large-scale marketing campaigns digitally, you know, big events. We do branding, you know, style guides, websites, brand identities, but always with the, as the first step being utilizing our seventh level framework. One other note is that we're recording this on December 20th. I think it'll go live sometime in mid-late January. And by then you'll be a mom. I will with a son. So that is very exciting. I think I've done more pregnant than I've done not pregnant. <laughs> somehow, <laughs> somehow this year, I launched my book this year. And so I was giving talks and I was, I was actually releasing the book and I was doing all of these things. So there's actual evidence of me like on multiple stages at right. multiple phases of my pregnancy, which is pretty cool. I'll show my son one day. Oh, sure. Uh, and he'll be like, yeah, okay, whatever, mom. <laughs> I'll be thinking it's like really cool. <laughs> yeah, you're my mom. You're not cool. <laughs> exactly. My mom always says like, if you really want to get like an ego check, like have children, because she always kind of tells the story of there was something about Bono and his daughter. It was an interview and the daughter was like, oh, my dad is so annoying. He's like, oh, he's obsessed with like, man, it's like Bono. So if Bono can't be cool to his kids, like no one is going to be cool. Yeah, there's no hope. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so let's talk about the seventh level of your book. It's an interesting overview of how to engage with customers. And you add an element that some people leave out of these kinds of treatises, and that is employees. People forget about employees, even though they're the ones who do everything. So how do those two constituents, customers and employees, work together? Yeah, we broke out the book. And I say we because I don't do anything in a silo. And so I so often say we instead of I because my team supported me so much and sure. being able to write that book. So that's just so that you know, it's not like me and my child inside me. When I say <laughs> we. <laughs> so we broke out the book into internal customers and external customers. And the internal customers are the employees. And the reason why we broke it out in that way is because of exactly what you're saying. So often we overlook our employees as our customers. And I recoined the word or the phrase ROI instead of just return on investment, it's ripple of impact. So you have to, oh, start, yeah, so you have to start from the inside out and kind of activate your organization from within and recognize that you know, the individuals that are closest to your company that are, you know, again, doing the work Every single day, you know, they also have an opportunity now to share what they feel about your organization for better or for worse. So, you know, back in the day, maybe they told a friend or a family member or, you know, they complained to close ones. Now they're going on Glassdoor, they're going on social media. There's so many more opportunities for them to, to advocate for your brand, um, but also be able to complain <laughs> about your brand. And so starting with them and making sure they're deeply engaged. So that way they become the advocates for your organization. You're not just doing it all yourself as a leader was and is crucial. 
And then from there, you can start to recognize the importance of connecting with your audience. And I also kind of talk about, I don't really talk about it in the book too much, but it's this idea of recognizing that a lot of companies think of marketing campaigns as a way to, I call it like crap cake. This idea of like, it looks like a really good cake. It looks like chocolate icing and you're like slicing into it and it's crap on the inside because a lot of companies think that, you know, a great marketing slogan or a beautiful commercial will help hide the things that they are not necessarily doing within the four walls of their organization. And an example of that is I talk a little bit about in the book around this idea of like, if you're going to do a commercial around gender equality, but your board is all men, then you probably shouldn't be doing that marketing campaign to begin with. So it's recognizing that, you know, you have to start from what are we actually doing? What's the walk, not just the talk? And then how do we utilize that as a way to then talk to our customers externally? A lot of people think of marketing as an artifice that you can put over something to plaster over problems. But really, good marketing actually reflects what the company really is about. Yes. Oh, I love that. I love the artifact. I, I, I'm going to use that. I will give you that. <laughs> I think that, Trademark. <laughs> that's exactly right. Then as someone who is in education, I realized that when you're teaching a child to think differently about something, whether it's, you know, a subject or, you know, the way they see themselves or the way they see their classmates or the way that they see themselves as a part of the world, you're marketing something to them. You're marketing, you know, a lesson to them, if you will. And so you're changing their behavior. And I feel that that's why it wasn't so far off to then go from education into straight marketing into then kind of this hybrid. Because if you are doing it right, and if you are starting from within, you're recognizing and um, you're, there's a recognition for yourself and for others around that we have a responsibility to think about how we are communicating to individuals and how we're changing their behavior. Because marketing is behavior change. And I think so often we as brands just spew out so many messages and we're constantly, you know, I say we always, brands are the best teachers in the world because they have these huge classrooms. They just need the right curriculum. So rather than just saying all these messages and trying to sell products, let's think about ourselves as having a responsibility in terms of this behavior change and do it with intention. Yeah, it's interesting that you've talked a bit about education and your background there. And marketing, you know, a marketing campaign is kind of like a curriculum. We call it nurturing, but it's pretty much a curriculum, right? Step one to step 10. And uh, it's just interesting to take that point of view. You're speaking my language. That's exactly (laughs) what I said when I first, because people didn't understand the connection. And that's exactly what I say. I say it's like an overall marketing campaign. It's like a curriculum. And then there's parts of that campaign. Maybe it is a website, you know, a landing page, there's digital elements. Maybe there's an event, maybe there's, you know, communications and those are lesson plans. And so we break out that curriculum into lessons. And even within that lesson, there's objectives, assessment, there's different parts of that lesson. And so that's exactly right. You know, we are educating our customers. We're changing the way, again, they're thinking about something that's educating them on our products, our values, you know, what sets us apart, our value proposition. But I don't necessarily think that a lot of people think of it again as a responsibility. And as you said, they kind of just use it as a way to maybe hide problems versus as an opportunity to solve problems and then shed light on the solutions that they've been able to come up with. Although one thing drove me crazy when my kids were little and I'd go to parent-teacher night at school and the teacher would be so proud that they had PowerPoint and they would lead us all through a PowerPoint (laughs) deck. And I think, well, you know, that's what I spend my entire day looking at. I don't need to come to school to look at that. Well, it's really funny because I don't really talk too much about my thesis because it was so long ago. It was the foundation for the book, but my thesis was bringing students outside of the classroom 
and measuring the difference in terms of engagement when they were outside of the classroom using nature-based learning, like their community as the classroom, and then using like technology within the classroom and the difference between the two settings. And, you know, we actually did find that nature-based learning, it was a small sample size, but, you know, nature-based learning did increase engagement. And so very similarly, I think that when you think about, you know, anything in terms of educating even parents about what their students are up to, it has to be engaging. And so often we end up just doing kind of the status quo of like, well, we're told we should do a presentation. And so we're just going to be doing exactly what everyone else is doing. And that's no longer, you really can't do that anymore with the ecosystem that we're a part of today. Yeah. And the thought that technology is an actual result, it's really a means to an end, right? Yes, it's a tool. And we have kind of let those tools inform success for us instead of us determining success and then utilizing those tools to help us reach our goals when it comes to engagement and when it comes to really anything across the board. We have to think of it as a stepping stone, not as like the be all end all. Yeah. So MarTech is kind of like the teacher using PowerPoint in the classroom. Yeah. Level four of the, of the seven distinct levels as a part of the framework is called structure dependent engagement. And that's instruction-based. And that's what I talk about with social media marketing. It's like this, comment below, share this post. And that's the way that we currently define quote-unquote digital engagement. But that's three levels from the top. So we are settling for, again, what the tools tell us success looks like instead of us saying, okay, how are we using that to get to these higher levels? And data and analytics, I think we've taken these very extreme approaches as marketers where we're like, data is everything or data is not enough or we need intuition. The customer doesn't matter. The customer is everything. Like there's all these extreme (laughs) you know, ways of communicating about what's important for marketing. So that's why I also like the framework because it's this step-by-step approach and they're all of the things that you're doing in marketing fit into the framework. Data and analytics fit into the framework. Qualitative research fit into the framework. Like social media fits into the framework. But it's again, it's not, you know, the silver bullet. It's not one size fits all. Like, okay, this is going to work for you because you're doing this one thing. It's you have to build off of multiple things in order to have success. So let's talk about engagement, which is kind of a cliche, you know, that we've heard over and over again, but it actually means something if you strip away the way people use that over and over again. How can you as a company really engage with your constituents? You know, the word engagement is so nebulous, like it's, it's abstract. Everyone has a different definition for it. And for me, it's this idea of, again, like meaningful human connection. And I think we've maybe forgotten that the people that we're talking to in terms of our customers are humans first and not just likes, comments, and followers. So I think first and foremost, it's recognizing with this framework that it is way more nuanced and way more difficult to engage a customer than just having someone be disengaged or engaged because disengagement is actually level one of the seven levels. And so when you start to see that disengagement's level one and you're building off of, okay, what does that mean? And now the whole point of the framework is to get to the next level. And what can I do to get to the next level? The whole point of it is for you to look at yourself and how to improve versus blaming the customer or the employee for why they're not engaged. And the seventh level is defined as literate thinking. It's when your personal values and beliefs align with the message. And so the way that the framework works is before you even think about connecting with someone else, you have to think about what you actually stand for, what your personal values and beliefs are. And a lot of the times in marketing, it's like, you know, we use the words authenticity or what's your why or your intention behind. We have a lot of these exercises and these brand experiences that get people to tell us like their favorite animal and color and what <laughs> character they would be. Right. And then we're like, okay, and now you're off, you're successful. 
but it's not that easy. So once you identify your own seventh level statement, and again, what is that guiding force, that North Star, that personal value and belief that really makes you you, then you go through one through seven and you actually use it again as a step-by-step process to say, okay, I'm going to look at what a passive consumer looks like with my brand at level one. And I'm going to think about walking them through each of these levels to strive towards the seventh level. And the other thing I would say in terms of engagement is a lot of the times what happens with companies is we don't realize we have seventh level customers because when you've been around for even, I mean, honestly, even when you launch a brand, you have seventh level customers that love you, like your family and your friends and and people that want to support you. What we think is we have to start from scratch. We have to start from people that don't know about us and then convince them that we exist and then talk to them about our value proposition and then tell them why we're you know, great at what we do and then explain to them why they need our services to solve our problem. That's so much work. There's a lot of people that are already engaged. So the thing that I say is like a very easy, it's not as simple as, again, just do one, two, and three. But one thing that you can think about is who are these customers that are already deeply engaged with you, that are already sharing, that are already posting, that are already referring people to you? And how are you treating them differently? And how are you actually creating a whole new way of communicating with them, but also putting time, energy, and effort to that individual in a segmented way? Yeah, it's impressive. It kind of feels complex, but when you get down into it, it's pretty simple, isn't it? It is. And we broke out the levels into three buckets. So the bottom three levels are around attracting a customer and earning the trust. The two middle levels, four and five, are around engaging with, so interacting with. And the top two levels are around delighting. So I really kind of talk about it as a a natural way of thinking about a relationship. So often, we just feel that we're going to go from introducing ourselves to someone to them becoming obsessed with us. And that's just not the way that human beings work. It takes time to build trust. And then you have to kind of slowly show them who you are. And then you could start to ask more and more from them. And then once you've asked something of them, it has to be a two-way relationship. That's what customers, I think, are expecting because there's so many options these days that if they don't really receive that connection with a brand where the brand's showing them that they care about them, they'll just go to someone else. So it really is, it's kind of the simplest thing there is, is to think about a relationship in this natural human way that would be like, what would I want from a marriage, a partnership, a friendship? I think we've gotten so far from just this human understanding of each other. and, And we have all these awesome tricks up our sleeves that we have to kind of go back to what makes us human beings. And that word delight is something that you don't hear enough these days. But really, when you engage with a brand, and I had an experience, I think it was yesterday, buying a piece of jewelry online from a company in Ireland, and it was a delightful experience. What made it delightful? Just the tone of the emails they Mm. sent, the way they personalized the experience. And, you know, it was a, a transaction, but it was a delightful transaction. It's the kind of thing as a marketer myself for more decades than I'd like to admit that you're after. And it all comes because in this case, it's the man who founded the company who is signing those emails. So he's obviously read them and other people probably help help him with them. And marketing department is probably there and they figure out what to send and when. But it's all in the tone and the way it's presented that can delight a customer who ordinarily would say, okay, yeah, I bought that. Great. But when you can make a customer feel good about spending a lot of money, it's such an achievement, isn't it? 
Yeah, I feel that sales are a meaningful transaction between two human beings. And mm-hmm. I feel that, I feel like sales has kind of become, again, sales and marketing also, that's a whole other beast of a conversation of yeah. like, <laughs> what is sales? What is marketing? Where do they align? But I think that at the end of the day, we are at this point of our lives purchasing so much all of the time. Consumerism is just at an all-time high. It was in the trillions for Black Friday while we have also trillions of dollars in student debt. It's very confusing. Yes. And I think that we are interacting with more and more messages and more and more companies than we ever would in 30 years, you know, a few decades ago. So there's an opportunity to really make someone feel good, as you said. And so often, you know, I get off calls with customer service representatives from big companies. And like, if I just get one customer service representative that treats me like a person, I feel like crying because I'm like, oh my God, thank you so much for just treating me like a person. Imagine if everyone took that consideration into their own hands and said, I want to, whoever I talk to today, I want to make them feel better than when they first was introduced to me and how that would change the way that we're thinking about each other in the world. There are levels to this. Like when you go out to Chili's or somewhere like that, and the waitress or waiter feels like they have to sit down at your table and become your best buddy. That may be going a bit too far. Well, that's what's so interesting. <laughs> that's what's so interesting about the levels. Not everyone is at the seventh level. So there are certain people that are coming in at level two, at level three. And so level three is frustrated engagement. It's when you want to engage with something, but you're distracted. So for someone who's like, you know, maybe just wants a quick meal and they're driving, you know, across the country and they see a Chili's and they just like go in and they want like to be in and out. Then someone like sits at their table and treats them like their best friend. They're like, this is confusing to me. Like, this is weird. But if they had actually used the levels and recognized, and this is where, again, the levels are so interesting. You just start to see people differently and their actions and where they are and meet them where they are and then help move them to the next level. Not try to jump all the way again to the seventh level if they're at level two or three. So I do agree with that. I think that at the end of the day, though, a seventh level customer. So I just actually wrote something about this today. I go to this restaurant every single day by my house in the Upper West Side. It's been there for 35 years. It is just this very established place in in New York City. And they know my order. They know like I have one drink in the beginning of a meal and they know my second drink that I order. Like they know the table I like. They know everything about me. And I came in today and they gave me a bottle of wine. And they're like, you know, you can have this in a few weeks. Yeah. (laughs) But it was wrapped. And they're like, we just want to thank you. you Oh, that's nice. And that was just such a, it was just such a nice gesture. And the waiters there will come and stand by my table and like talk to me for long periods of time. But if I went to another restaurant and they did that, I'd be like, can you please leave me alone? I want to eat. I want to eat. But (laughs) there, I love it. I'm like, I want to know what's going on with them. They want it because they know, and they don't do that to every table. They do that to maybe like one or two tables of their regulars because they know how to treat the people that they're interacting with. Again, just like a normal person, like you probably don't have, you know, you're not interacting with every single person as if they're your partner or your best friend. That would be weird. So why would Chili's treat you like their best friend? The other thing is about data is you have access to all this information. So most people, they're giving you some type of information where you can see how often they're coming to your restaurant. With Open Table, particularly, you can have all these notes about the customer. Sure. So if someone's coming for there for the first time, then don't treat them like they're there for the hundredth. And if someone's coming for the hundredth, don't treat them like they're there for the first. It's kind of common sense, but I think, again, we've made it a little bit more complicated than it has to be. But it's interesting real life behavior that we forget when we're managing our funnel sometimes that someone just in the funnel is not our friend. 
Exactly right. And I think that with the funnel, and you know, we, the three buckets that we've created, we've used from HubSpot, their inbound marketing flywheel. We do a lot with HubSpot around these levels. We actually have a whole free curriculum. It's a 70 page curriculum about how to use all of the levels and then apply the understanding of the level to, you know, utilizing HubSpot tools. It's specific to HubSpot. But the point of this is that when it comes to automation and when it comes to personalization, we can't treat or talk to every single person in the same way. Obviously, we understand that. But then I think where we, where we might not understand, where we still need some work in terms of learning and growth is how do we then talk to them? It's like we are either creating these drip campaigns that's all around maybe sales, but we're not, again, meeting them where they are because we don't necessarily even know where they are. So I think that's the problem is as a human being to a human being, you can pick up on cues, on social cues, on body language, on where a person is with you, and then you can build off of that relationship. Digitally, we have to come up with new tactics in order to be able to do it in a more natural way. All right, next time Amanda's back and we get a glimpse into the advice she gives clients, some stories from the front lines, and lots more. So stay tuned. Confessions of a Marketer is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time.